the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. All right, good afternoon. I guess it's my turn again. Didn't we just do this? (laughs) Welcome to another edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts indeed with you yet once again, as we have been here all low these many years, bringing you, of course, insights to... In shoes that, of course, impact your life and your world. Got a great show lined up for you today. What an odd day it has been on Wall Street. At the beginning of the day, wow, talk about a run-up. We saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average topping the 26,000 mark for the first time in history. I did some research. You know, it's interesting to find out that the Dow Jones Industrial Average that dates back to 1886, I think it is something along that line, uh, took from 1886 all the way up to 1972 to cross the 1,000 mark. It's a long time. And wow, what it's done since 1972. In fact, what it's done since January of just a year ago. We're going to talk about that on today's program. In fact, as this Saturday marks the one-year anniversary of the Trump administration, we thought high time to do some introspection. There are opinion polls out and report cards and things of this sort. But we thought today we'd get you a bit of an unbiased viewpoint, neither partisan from the Republican nor the Democrat side, as to just where things stand, not just with the direction of the administration and the accomplishments, or perhaps lack thereof, over the course of the last year, but where we're headed as a nation and as a people. We are pleased to have joining us later on in this first hour, Bob Zadek, host of the nationally syndicated Bob Zadek Show, and you're going to be in for a real treat when Bob joins us in just a few moments. But first, criminal charges have been dropped against five street preachers who were cited by police for disturbing public peace outside of a high school back in November. We get details now from constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Brad, this is a bit of an odd story. Almost seems as if you would be reporting this out of uh, the Soviet Union from 20 plus years ago, but instead, no, right here in the U.S. What's going on? Yeah, it, it really is disturbing because uh, we have we have cases and had cases like this now, uh, not just in this state, but also in uh, you know we have California, Nevada, Washington, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Michigan. These are these criminal charges against uh, street preachers are popping up all over. What happened here is these these uh, five gentlemen were these uh, preachers that uh, were uh, preaching in front of a uh, the outside sidewalk near a public high school. They were uh, you know, preaching the gospel, um, they had gospel tracts, uh, with, uh, they, they, and they also would tell the students, Jesus loves you. Uh, nothing confrontational, nothing political, and yet the school uh, accused them of, of, of protesting, and they didn't want their protesting, called the police, and the police criminally charged them uh, with a noise ordinance, and, and yet, you know, they, they didn't 
charge any students of you know yelling, making noise. Just these 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 five individuals who are out there preaching with the love of Jesus, and it is very very disturbing. And uh, we at Pacific Justice quickly moved on this uh, to uh, defend him and get the charges dropped. One of the stories that I read indicated that uh, these uh, gentlemen had in fact in advance obtained approval from code enforcement officers with the city. By the way, for listeners, this transpired up in Washougal, Washington, not far outside of I want to say Vancouver. I think it's Vancouver area. And so uh, they had approval to do all of this. It was not, in fact, a protest. But what's odd about this story was, even if it were a protest, is this not, since it was taking place on a public street, is this not just a good old-fashioned exercise of one's First Amendment rights? Exactly. Uh, Public sidewalks are uh, considered traditional public forums. It's, It's the safest place you could speak. (laughs) <laughs> it's a traditional public forum, like a public sidewalk or a public park. Uh, it's uh, so it's, it's, it has a great uh, long history of, of uh, being a protected form uh, for speech, and yet uh, they were these people were treated like they were doing something illegal, a serious violation of free speech and religious freedom. And uh, we have Pacific Justice, you know, we represent the municipal court, and we got the charges completely dropped. Uh, and uh, we're really pleased about that. Well, one of the charges included a violation of the city noise ordinance. Were they using amplification equipment? I, I can't imagine in the middle of the afternoon how five guys uh, out there carrying some placards and uh, you know proclaiming or preaching their faith would somehow rise to the level of violating noise levels. Did they come out with meters and test for something like that? Yeah, there, there weren't any meters being tested, and uh, to our understanding, there were, there were no uh, amplified speaking, you know, um, you know, uh, mechanisms. Uh, this was uh, just they were just out there preaching from the diaphragm and and just uh, really working hard to just to simply let the good news of Jesus, uh, you know, get out there. What was really shocking, though, Craig, was that one of these individuals uh, who was charged. Uh, was uh, actually, he's, he's from Russia, from former Soviet Union. He used to preach in Russia. And, uh, and you know, he held a sign with a Bible verse, hand out gospel tract, told the kids, Jesus loves you. And, uh, you know, the aggressive reaction from the school and the police reminded him of the similar harassment and complaints to the KGB uh, he received uh, when preaching in Russia. And yet how far we have come. I recall my first trip into um, by what then was the former Soviet Union into Moscow and uh, being invited to come in as a religious broadcaster to uh, uh, share and speak about religious freedom in America to a classroom of uh, public high school students in Moscow. And uh, some of us that, uh, that were there together on that particular day, we commented about the utter irony that here we were sitting in the very capital of what had been the Soviet Union answering questions of high school students about religion and faith and how that such an exercise would have been utterly illegal and incomprehensible back home in the United States. Interesting uh, <laughs> juxtaposition between the two experiences. Well, glad to hear yeah. that um, PJI was available to step up to the plate, and it uh, sounds like you had to uh, educate both the police department uh, as well as the DA on some of the uh, the unconstitutionality of the city's ordinance in this case. Were you successfully getting the charges dropped against all five? Uh, yes. Yes, we were. We got the charges all dropped, uh, dismissed. Uh, and uh, but that took work. That wouldn't have happened had our ter- one of our great attorneys, Kevin Snyder, 
uh, flying up and actually representing them um, in, in actual in court. So we're we're very pleased with that. But I just want people to know we have we're handling more we've handled more criminal defense cases for people simply preaching the gospel than ever before uh, in our over the last twenty plus years since our founding, and uh, and it it is increasing, uh, Craig, and that's that should be a, a tremendous concern if anyone ever has. Uh, anyone uh, that they know of who has criminal charges brought against them being prosecuted like a criminal for preaching the gospel, they should contact us uh, immediately, and we would uh, love to come to their defense without charge. And, of course, you can get more information about uh, the work of the Pacific Justice Institute and contact them online, pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Our thanks to the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus, for that update. All right, 5.15, just before we get to our conversation with the best-selling author, radio talk show host, political commentator Bob Zadak, let's get to a look at traffic. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center and say good afternoon to Michael Bennett, who's got the latest on your uh, first day back after the MLK holiday ride home. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, what's the old saying? What a difference a day makes? No, what a difference a year makes in this case here. As I mentioned at the top of the program, remarkable that today the Dow Jones Industrial Average, while it didn't stay there, at least for a moment in early trading, crossed over the psychologically important 26,000 mark. Interesting to note that it took almost the first 100 years of the Dow Jones Industrial Average to break 1,000. And in the last 12 months, we've seen an increase of over 6,000 points in one year. That's not just the only thing that has happened in this first remarkable year under the Trump presidency. The president, of course, successful at appointing and confirming Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. The rollback of government regulations widely touted for much of what we see happening on Wall Street these days. I would suspect that the tax cut, uh, the first uh, most aggressive, at least since Ronald Reagan, also successful in the first year in office, along with elimination of things like the Affordable Care Act mandate. And the list goes on and on. We thought at the end of the uh, conclusion of the first year here, which will be marked this coming Saturday of the Trump presidency, that we get some middle of the road, perhaps uh, less impartial, maybe less partisan, better way to put it, insight from a best-selling author, nationally syndicated talk show host, Bob Zadek. Bob hosts the Bob Zadek Show, broadcast on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. with a reprise broadcast heard Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. He's also the author of the newly released ebook Secret Sauce, the founder's original recipe for limited American democracy. And Bob, as always, great to have you on the program. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Well, year number one, we've heard some of the uh, reports coming out. Pollsters like Rasmussen says that Trump essentially tied with Obama at the end of year number one. Forty-six percent of Americans approve, 53 percent disapprove. A composite of the um, NBC Wall Street Journal poll, similar numbers, a 41 percent approval rating, 59 percent disapproval rating there. Overall, as you view what has transpired in both Congress and in in the administration over the last 12 months. How do you rate this president? Well, it's first of all, I'd like to back up a moment. You referred to the pollsters and the polls. Now, I don't quarrel with the science 
of taking polls, they probably do a very good job on detecting the sense of the country or the population or whatever segment they're examining. However, however, they are asking everyday people what their opinion is. Now, what is that opinion based upon? That's the core question. And the difficulty is that most people have formed an opinion not by independent thought, not by analysis of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, not by analysis of the tax code. They base their opinion on what they have heard. Therefore, most, and by the way, I don't fault that. I don't blame individuals for not spending nights and weekends reading the tax code. Of course they shouldn't do that. That would be a waste of their time. Uh, they should be spending time with their family and their friends. However, however, the pollsters are really polling what news media do you get your news from. That's what they're asking. They're not asking, what do you think of Trump? They're asking, who do you listen to when you form the opinion? So I tend to ignore pollsters, not because they don't accurately measure public opinion. I'm sure their statistics are fine, but because they are testing the wrong thing. The public at large cannot form an informed opinion about Trump because they are not going to the source. They're not reading source documents. They're merely listening to the media. Well, I suppose the other point on this, the other point here too, I think to even kind of narrow your observation down even further, and that is it's not just a matter of people sort of regurgitating their opinion based on the impressions that they've received from the mainstream media, but I guess it also largely depends upon how the last year's events, decisions both in the administration and within Congress have affected individuals. For example, if you happen to be here in this country illegally, you probably have a pretty poor opinion of the Trump administration's performance over the last 12 months. On the other hand, if you're Wells Fargo or Bank of America, you're probably standing and applauding right now and opening bottles of champagne. Well, that, of course, is true. There is, of of course, a more complex issue. But uh, take immigration, for example. You ha- when analyzing any president in general, and profoundly when analyzing Trump in particular, there's a rule, Zadig's rule, ignore what he says, look at what he does. Uh, if you listen, if you pay attention to what he says, you will be distracted and probably form a somewhat inaccurate opinion of his presidency. So if you never, if you put the the TV on mute whenever Trump speaks and merely read what his administration has done, I dare say you would form a probably much different opinion of the Trump presidency than if you listened to all, all the words that allegedly or really leave his mouth. All right, let's talk about this for a moment, because you've opened up what has been, of course, a mainstay of discussion over the last uh, week-long news cycle. Um, Everything from concerns over the president uh, not knowing how to control his tweeting to more specifically allegations of remarks made in the uh, the DACA meeting a week ago. And I realize that there's been some efforts on both sides of the aisle to try to confirm and deny. I I think the most odd denials have been, well, he didn't use that word, but he used 
used very strong language, and then when pressed for specifics, nobody seems to be able to come up with specifics. So at the end of the day, let, let's say that what is alleged that the president said in observations concerning immigrants coming from certain countries is an accurate one. Uh, do, do we discount that necessarily and look strictly at the kind of legislation that he is pushing for or the executive orders to develop a more, shall we say, rounded or, or reality-based opinion then on the president's position concerning immigration, both illegal and legal? Here's the way I process that statement that he allegedly made. And I, I've reached the conclusion he probably did say it, all. of course it wasn't there. So I will say on the assumption that he said it, then how much do I care and why do I care? Well, it helps me form an opinion of what he's like one-on-one if I was hanging out with the guy. Kind of irrelevant. It helps me form an opinion of his character. Relevant, but not so relevant because his power will affect me more than his character will. How, does it, how else does it affect me? Well, it seems to have affected foreign policy, whether that's permanent or transitory, remains to be seen. So I take that statement... And I think even less of him, insofar as his character is concerned, his temperament, maybe even his intellect, but I don't want to go there. And I ask myself, as an action, take those words and treat them as an action. How does that action further or harm the self, the interest of our country and therefore of me as an individual? And I say it will affect us in foreign policy, perhaps, if it affects us negatively, it was it was a bad act if it if it's neutral not so bad as a as a president goes okay so th- th- you've given us some good lessons i think bob in terms of helping to maybe take a little bit of a step back uh to play less into the hands of the screaming memes on network television and anybody else that has a vested interest in raising um the 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 decibel level of several hundred points in order to try and get some attention for ratings or whatever the the purpose may be at the end of the day learning to better scrutinize not what is said necessarily, but ultimately what is done makes perfect sense because at the old, at the end of the day, the old adage, you know, proof is in the pudding uh, means absolutely everything. Having said that, let's break down some of the, the, the major events, the major accomplishments or lacks thereof over the last year. And I'd like to get your, your input, your feedback, your, your sense of whether or not, particularly from a libertarian perspective, these are ways in which America is either moving forward and becoming more accurate to our um, founding father's vision and the Constitution of the United States, or perhaps uh, drifting uh, even further uh, away from all of that. Let's begin with the issue of... Please. That's a mixed bag, of course, uh, as to whether he's true to founding principles. That could be a one-week telethon <laughs> to discuss that issue. But let's break it down. We haven't got the, we are not going to take over the radio station for the next week. So let's go, as you said, item by item. All right. First one, that certainly I think, as I suggested in my opening remarks today concerning the Dow Jones Industrial Average, is capturing a lot of attention, and that is uh, the recent tax cuts and the perception that both the combination of deregulation as well as reducing the corporate tax rate from 35 percent to 20 percent is already um, having a strong impact on Wall Street. Uh, Whether or not or when this is going to impact individuals, that's probably open 
for debate. I find it interesting to note that for a lot of people, if you look at the average family of four and talk about the amount of money that they'll actually save on taxes, it accounts from the numbers I've seen for about $32 a week. And I guess if your life is going to be different at $32 a week, then you're, you're really celebrating this president. Let's get to the issue of the, and I use the word reform. It really is inaccurate, though, is it? When we talk about tax reform, this is just basically tax reduction and, and kicking the can down the road further when it comes to some of the expenditures of Washington, D.C., isn't it? Greg, you said it perfectly. It, it is absolutely, absolutely not reform. If reform suggests making it simpler, of course it didn't make it simpler. It made it more complex. The tax code got longer as a result of the uh, the tax bill that was signed into law. Now, the next the next point that you mentioned, again, you were right on, Craig. Uh, and the stock, let's talk about the stock market and taxes as one topic because they're, they're related. Now, I guess it seems to me that the spike, although the uh, Dow Jones hasn't going up right uh, pretty smoothly for the last couple of years, but the spike upward in the Dow Jones and the value of securities seems to me to be clearly the result of two things. We'll get to regulation in a moment, but to the tax law. However, however, most people invest and the stock market reacts much more to the short run than the long run. This tax bill gave an immediate benefit to almost everyone and an immediate detriment to a whole lot of people who are walking around kindergarten and the first and second grade right now. So we've given a benefit to the present and a detriment to the future. The future, the people in kindergarten are not buying securities, so they're not around to express their displeasure. So the tax now maybe the tax law didn't harm the future. That remains to be seen. Maybe business will be booming such that we'll have four percent growth, and the growth in the economy will more than make up in tax revenue for the loss of tax revenue by lower rate. That remains to be seen. Highly speculative. We do know that in the short run. These are wonderful days for everybody who is an economic player in the marketplace, whether as a wage earner or an investor or a capitalist or some combination thereof. So in the short run, everybody in the sound of my voice probably is better off. In the long run, who knows, we'll be dead. You know, the irony behind all of this is, again, putting things in perspective here from a historical viewpoint. Uh, while it can be argued, my goodness, look at this president. We've seen an increase in the Dow Jones Industrial Average in in one year of uh, what does it work out to be a percentiles here. We went from uh, essentially he inherited uh, 20,000 points, and, and now we're at 25,000 points, 26,000 points. So, uh, you know, that that's a decent showing. But then comparatively speaking, over the years of Barack Obama, he came into office. The Dow Jones Industrial Average by March of that year had dropped all the way down to 6,000. It was at 19,000 when he left. That's a 320-something. I haven't done the the hard numbers, but rough numbers. About a 320% gain over the course of eight years. So I I guess at the end of the day, even looking at the short-term gains over the last year of up 6,000 points is really relative to how we 
we view this long term. And at the end of the day, I guess that's really going to be key here when it comes to any of these tax cuts and the long term impact on the economy. It sure is. And we it remains to be seen. It's far out in the future. So we don't know the long-term effect on the economy. We sure know the short-term effect, and it's very good. We do not know the long-term. But by the way, I would say the stock market's increase, the stock market's stellar performance is, in my opinion, much more the result of what Trump has then done in the area of deregulation as opposed to tax reform. Regulation has been much more of a break on economic growth, and it's hidden, it's stealth, it's buried in tens of thousands of pages of regulation. There's no business in America that has a line on their P&L cost of compliance two billion dollars but every business in america has that cost it's just buried therefore it's a stealth cost and that cost is greater than most americans can appreciate and what trump has done to his credit is in a somewhat unheralded way reduced the yoke of regulation on business and i and that's a much more well it's it's a long-term effect, except since it's done by presidential action, the next president, if Trump doesn't get reelected, and if it's somebody who is more progressive, those regulations will come back. So it's not a long-term fix. That goes to another subject we talk about, which is how Congress has let the president run the country as opposed to Congress running the country. We may get to that topic today. Perhaps it'll be for another time. But I attribute the uh, cutting back of regulation as as a far more important contribution to economic growth than the changes in the taxation. Well, and certainly I think in terms of the level of meaningfulness to individual employers, I mean, if we come from the understanding that the principal employer, the biggest employer here, we all think it's the United States government, they're they're pretty big, but not quite as big as, no, not even corporations. The number one employer in America is basically the small business. It's a company of under 500 employees, and these are the ones that feel the impact of regulation the most and for whom the deregulation, as we've seen over the last year, has done so much to take the shackles off. And when you think of the ability of freeing up, you know, what might not be uh, for one company billions of dollars, but enough money to be able to increase wages, hire additional people on, Um, At the end of the day, certainly as much as we've seen the bounce on Wall Street, probably largely due to the reduction in the uh, corporate tax rate, the the overall excitement on Main Street is because of the deregulation. Visiting today with nationally syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek. Hey, I invite you to tune in and check out his program. You can hear it Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. There's also a reprise broadcast every Sunday afternoon. 
afternoon if, say, you're sleeping in Sunday morning, although I advise against it. You can get up and catch a show. Great way to get the day started. And uh, you can also catch that reprise broadcast at 4 p.m. on Sundays on 860 AM, The Answer, The Bob Zadek Show. His new book, by the way, Secret Sauce, the founder's original recipe for limiting American democracy, available online through Bob's website at Bob Zadek, Z-A-D-E-K, Bob Zadek, We take a brief time out. We'll come back with more insights and opinion from Bob Zadek as we count down the last 12 months of the first year of the Trump presidency on this Tuesday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. Get a look at traffic right now. We're a bit late, but hey, if you're stuck in this... uh, Post-MLK holiday traffic, you're late, too. So we're on the same same boat together. Let's see what's going on out there. Michael Bennett's got the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we are back. Our conversation with lawyer, author, and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek, host of The Bob Zadek Show, heard locally here in the Bay Area on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer, Sunday mornings at 8 AM, and a reprise broadcast Sunday afternoons at 4 PM. You can get more information about Bob, along with the podcast of his shows and information about his new book, Secret Sauce, <coughs> pardon me, by going online to his website, bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A. Dek.com. Bob, certainly over the course of the last year, the president has used the power of his pen to um, essentially send a message, a message to the politically unaccountable and, and hired and appointed bureaucrats that think up many of these regulations and implement to roll back the implications, take the, strongle, the stranglehold off of um, certainly business at every level. But is it true that perhaps the biggest impact of these regulations at the end of the day really comes down to Main Street and the mom-and-pop stores and, and owners? Well, it's uh, – I would say – the impact, the beneficiary of the rollback in regulations is every American, every business, large and small, every American. As business gets rid of the cost of regulation, one would think if you have any faith faith in the free markets at all, and of course I have an undying faith in free markets, if you have any faith in the free markets, the savings of corporations through less regulation will find its way to either higher wages or more of a return to shareholders. Uh, more growth to investors, so investors make more money, uh, the suppliers get more business, everybody benefits. So this concept that Trump is benefiting corporations is utter nonsense. It's, it shows such ignorance of economics and how business works. Corporations are merely artificial, legally created entities to accumulate capital and use it efficiently. Corporations do not benefit. Only workers, shareholders, owners, and suppliers benefit. Corporations have no benefit whatsoever. So to to borrow a very old phrase from the 1920s, what's good for General Motors is good for the country. If you paraphrase that, what's good for business is generally good for the whole country. 
We've not heard the official numbers. They're not out yet, but uh, the the predictions seem to continue to be strong. That fourth quarter GP, GDP at three uh, percent, certainly not a number to, to sneeze at by by any means. I think perhaps Bob, part of the perception here that uh, Wall Street is benefiting because of the immediate impact of the reduction of the corporate tax rate from thirty five to twenty, and the ability to clearly repatriate all of that capital and get it back here in the U.S proper and working here. Long term, in, in, in terms of the effect, we know, for example, looking at the, the economy under the Clinton years was largely um, given to the efforts done in changing the direction of the economy during the Reagan years. Um, is it the same going to be true here in terms of the long-term positive impact of this deregulation insofar as impacting Main Street and, and individual Americans? Is this something that the real benefit if it will be held or felt four years from now, eight years from now? The difficulty with your question, Craig, is that uh, much, as I said before the break, much of the impetus, in my opinion, for the stock market behaving so well is the reduction in regulation. Regretfully, We live in a regulatory state, an administrative state, where so much of what we do and are permitted to do and are prohibited from doing is dictated, as you said in your opening, by unelected bureaucrats, by the administrative state, and not by Congress. And the reason that's significant to your question is, since it is done by presidential action, not by statute. It can be undone by presidential action. Look how much of, quote, Obama's legacy is being undone by Trump. Well, it'll be just that easy for President Elizabeth Warren, perish forbid, (laughs) uh, will be able to undo the Trump legacy, or President Oprah will be able to undo the Trump legacy. So when you project into the future, the trouble is we have this inherent instability that is the the regulations should be rolled back by statute that has a bit more permanence than regulation. So one can only predict as far perhaps as the midterms or perhaps to the next presidential election. Uh, as far as what's going to happen in the future. The tax change is around for a while. As we know, changes in the tax law are few and far between because it's so difficult to accomplish. It requires basically one party to be in power, which we have now. And by the way, just before we leave this subject, Trump is given a lot of credit for the tax law. To me, some of that, while I sure appreciate the changes, some of that credit is probably not deserved because the same President Trump with a Democratic Senate would not have gotten it done. So Trump was able to do it not by the by the force of his will or his intellect or his persuasion, hardly. He able to get it done because he had a willing Congress in the same party. Now, Trump does get credit for rolling back regulation because that's presidential action, but not necessarily for the tax law. 
he got lucky because he has both houses of Congress of the same party as he is. Of course, as you point out then, uh, this can be quickly unraveled by a future presidential fiat. I wonder, too, though, about the potential risk of the future unraveling of many of these positive things in terms of the impact on the economy, everything from the GDP to employment to um, this this great sense of hooray. We've finally seen a reduction in taxes. But, of course, that always suggests that if we're bringing in less, we ought to logically also spend less. That's certainly the way I operate my budget at home. I bet most of the people listening to this program do the same thing. If you're making less money, the logical and wise thing to do is to spend less money. However, this Congress and the past several Congresses don't really seem to have that perspective. So may there be a future problem in relationship to an unraveling of many of these economic accomplishments simply because we fail to address the overspending. We're going to talk about that question coming up next with nationally syndicated talk show host, best-selling author Bob Zadek. Check his program out, The Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer. We invite you to do that. Check out his website, too, at bobzadek.com. Lots of great insights, information about his new book, Secret Sauce, and, of course, a plethora of podcasts of previous shows. Great insights. He's always got great guests, so we invite you to check out the Bob Zadek Show, Bob Zadek, Z-A-D-E-K dot com. All right, we're just about 12 away from the hour. Let's pause real quick, get you updated on some traffic. The latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back in our conversation with best-selling author and talk show host Bob Zadek, host of the Bob Zadek Show, bobzadek.com, that's Z-A-D-E-K. We're talking about the first year of the Trump administration, mark that date this coming Saturday. And, of course, as Bob has aptly pointed out, a lot of the accomplishments over the last 12 months have been largely through executive order. And as much as we've seen many positive things happen in the economic realm, you have to wonder if it can be undone by future presidential fiats. Can it also potentially be undone by a lack of wisdom? Now, Bob, this president uh, ran on a platform of talking about investing more in infrastructure, in the military, um, the always go- ongoing concerns over protecting things like Social Security and Medicare. But I have to wonder if the current tax cuts have ultimately increased the deficit by $1.5 billion, and we're currently sitting at 20 $20.455 trillion. My goodness. Um, at the end of the day, we're at uh, $21 trillion, well, let's just call it $22 trillion amongst friends. I've got to believe that at some point that chicken is going to come home to roost and ultimately potentially be the unraveling of the economy. There's no question that spending is... Uh, Right now, the phrase is, of course, and it's an apt phrase, out of control. And the reason it's out of control is the very nature of a democratic system of government where politicians get reelected by having voters like what they do and voters like getting money and getting benefits, especially when it's with somebody else's money, more than they like almost anything else. So here we have voters who just want to get stuff with other people's money. Politicians want to get reelected. 
that makes for a very dangerous combination, especially when politicians can spend money that has to be dealt with in the future when they are no longer in office. And that is the danger to the the profound danger to the intermediate term health of our economic health of our country. There is a oft-quoted line from, I think, Benjamin Franklin that essentially goes, when the people find out they can vote themselves money, that's going to essentially be the end of the republic. Do you think that's largely true? Oh, it certainly is true. And Margaret Thatcher, of course, said the problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's money. (laughs) Very uh, true. she She was a very wise woman and a very wise uh, prime minister of England. She knew what she was talking about. And as I said, the difficulty is, uh, uh, the as you said earlier in the show, politicians are invited, are allowed to, quote, kick the can down the road. And it's only the libertarian or the liberty wing in Congress that speaks out at all uh, in protest of this runaway spending. And I would say uh, I'm, I have a view of spending a little bit different, maybe more nuanced than other conservatives, although conservatives, now they are in control of Congress, seem willing to spend a great deal. So conservatives have lost their will to be frugal. But my view is I don't focus on how much is spent. I focus on what it is spent on. And my view is government should have fewer areas of society, of life in America, which they have an interest in. They should mostly spend less, leave us alone, and just protect us. So as the government's mission in our lives increases, they need more money to carry out that mission. So I don't focus on how much is spent. I focus on what it's being spent on. Well, and, and I right think that now, at the end of the day, that, that makes perfect sense, because so often this debate has largely and always been what we spend. And we've seen over the course of, you know, certainly the last many administrations, going back to the Reagan years, big debate over this. I, I find it almost embarrassing to think that we were concerned. My goodness, Reagan helped drive up the federal debt to uh, you know, $4 trillion. Now those seem like the halcyon days of the debt. But at the end of the day, the one dialogue, the one national dialogue that we don't seem to be having is, not the question of what we spend, but why we spend. And, 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 and maybe exactly, therein lies Craig. the big challenge. Craig, I, there's a very simple test for our listeners. Let us imagine we find ourselves at war, and we're in a wartime economy, and the government spending goes through the roof because wars are expensive. And let's assume it's a legitimate war. It's a war for our survival. Would anybody within the sound of our voice protest an 80% income tax if necessary to fund the war of our survival? Why, of course not. So it's not how much we spend. It's not the level of taxation. It's what the money is spent on. And that's where all the savings will be found. And fiscal health will be achieved if the government becomes less ambitious about controlling our lives and spending money to do that and just leave us alone, protect us, protect our person, protect our property, and let us go about our lives. The budget will become balanced. One, two, three. 
Bob, final question for you as our time winds down this evening. Uh, your overall sense, taking a look back at the administration over the last 12 months from a libertarian perspective, from a libertarian viewpoint, what is your sense? Are we better off today than we were 12 months ago? Are there areas that you still see uh, need some improvement? What do you think? Yes to both. Man, are there areas that need improvement, but are we better off? Yes. I look to the tax tax code, Neil Gorsuch in spades. I look to the cutting back of regulation. Uh, on the other hand, we are worse off with immigrate, his policy on immigration, his policy on immigration, uh, on uh, marijuana reform, uh, criminal justice. Uh, he gets an F minus in those areas. So it's quite a mixed bag. It's impossible to equate that to a 70% or a 60%, probably 50-50. I remain hopeful, uh, but it's wait and, see, wait and see for me. I, I think you've just touched on the next two topics we're going to have to cover. Uh, certainly now that California has uh, legalized marijuana use, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, our state fares in that arena. And, of course, the ongoing question of what of the debate between state laws versus the federal opinion on this. We all know that Jeff Sessions has come out taking a hard line stand. That seems to be a, a showdown at the OK Corral that's, uh, that's brewing. And the broader topic of immigration and immigration reform. Love to get you back. Back on soon to uh, dive into both. We'll get the listeners involved uh, at, a, at a tug of war, perhaps, and uh, let's get some good exchange of ideas going on. Bob Zadek, host of the nationally syndicated Bob Zadek Show. You can check him out every Sunday morning live at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. And we invite you to also check out his new book, Secret Sauce, the founder's original recipe for limited American democracy. And details again on the book available at Bob's website, Bob Zadek, Z-A-D-E-K, BobZadek.com. And Bob, as always, we appreciate the time and the insights. Six o'clock exactly. We're going to turn a corner, get you updated on some headline news, take a look at a little bit of traffic first, though. Michael Bennett's got the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.